0: From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Religion for Life, religionforlife.com. I'm John Schuck. This is the fifth in the series, Islam 101, Meet Your Muslim Neighbor. Today, I welcome back Dr. Paul Kalmulnik.
1: We should never think this is a military uh, issue. It is fundamentally political. And, and when you hear the rhetoric of a, the, the current polarized debate about carpet bombing and bombing people into smithereens, just understand... Um, This is the equivalent of someone with a BB gun sitting in bleachers shooting at you and you come out with a bazooka and blast everyone sitting next to them. And half at least of the people sitting next to them were coerced to sit next to them for fear of their families disappearing.
0: Dr. Kamulnik is a professor in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology at East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee. He specializes in classical social theory, contemporary social theory, political Islam, Al-Qaeda organization, Islamic State organization, and counterterrorism. He's written monographs for the U.S. Army War College. One is forthcoming called the Al-Qaeda Organization and the Islamic State Organization, History, Doctrine, Modus Operandi, and the U.S. Strategy to Permanently Defeat Terrorism in the Name of Sunni Islam. In this second part of our interview, we talk specifically about Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State and strategies to permanently defeat them. Paul Kamonic is with me via Skype from Johnson City, Tennessee. Welcome back to Religion for Life.
1: Thank you very much, John.
0: Let's talk specifically about Al Qaeda and ISIS or ISIL. First of all, what do we call these groups?
1: Officially Al Qaeda is has called itself the base of the jihad, Qaidat al-Jihad, the base of jihad. And it saw itself as a kind of Islamic international or foreign legion that would send out global Islamic fighters to seed different nationalist insurgencies and move them in the direction of a global consciousness. So think of it as a kind of special forces global foreign legion. That's how it imagined itself initially. Uh, and that, that was so base the base of the jihad. Uh, we want to call it an organization because it called itself an organization. An organization is simply that. It's an organization. Uh, it's not Islam. It's not a state. Uh, sometimes they call themselves gamat or group, an Islamic group. But they call themselves tanzim, an organization. The Islamic State Organization, we want to call that also an organization. It is a tanzim, I-S-O, Islamic State Organization. Um, the reason being uh, the self-proclaimed caliph of Ibrahim is proclaimed by four people only. Actually, it was a group of four people, one of whom renounced uh, his uh, support so you had a tiny little cabal of people who moved to declare a caliph thinking that they might be outgunned by al-Qaeda's Syrian affiliate, al-Nusra. So they, they quickly declared this, this caliph, so-called caliph, uh, but they remain, in fact, an organization. They are nothing more than an organization. And in my writing, I want to keep the word state uh, in their name because they differ from al-Qaeda fundamentally, and al-Qaeda sees itself as a base and they see themselves as a state, as an entity, as a legal sovereign. And the difference between baseness and stateness is fundamental to the character of each of these groups. Al Qaeda has resisted the attempt to declare a state, knowing that they would be wiped from the map, and that Muslims were not ready, and they were not ready to defend the state. Uh, the Islamic State has has uh, has gambled on this, and uh, I believe uh, I believe they will lose.
0: Let's talk specifically about al-Qaeda. Uh, who is the leader now, and what's the scope of this organization?
1: Well, the, the main leader of al-Qaeda, the emir, is uh, Dr. Ayman al-Zawahari. Uh, he was al-Qaeda number two. He's been connected to bin Laden for a very long time. He's an Egyptian surgeon who uh, was a leader in the Egyptian Islamic Jihad and when uh, his organization was basically defeated in Egypt, he found himself uh, penniless and without recruits, uh, he uh, connected to Al-Qaeda uh, and uh, Al-Qaeda's organization and has been with bin Laden for, for quite some time. So when bin Laden was killed, I believe it was uh, June, May, May 2nd, 2011 uh Ayman zawari was uh, became the emir so he's the leader of of the organization itself uh as what a lot of people call al-Qaeda central um, now al-Qaeda also has affiliates uh those are official organizations that pledge an official bay'ah or a declaration of allegiance to follow a leader uh in good and bad times uh, whether they are sinful or not as long as they don't uh, disobey the the word of Allah the laws of Allah so it's basically an oath of fealty, and uh, there are a few affiliates. The most rabid uh, of them is Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula (AQAP). Uh, they were originally in Saudi Arabia. They were hunted down, and they reorganized in Yemen. Uh, and that has been our greatest uh, fear as far as Al Qaeda is this Yemeni affiliate. That's where. Uh, the underwear bomber uh, Farouk uh, is associated. That was Anwar al-Alaki, who was a chief propagandist, a Yemeni American. Uh, he was killed uh, by drone some years back. It's where the um, organize the uh, publication called Inspire, uh, which is uh, advocating a new model of of uh, so-called jihad, what we call lone mujahid terrorism or the lone mujahid. Think of it as a Highly decentralized, individualistic, lone wolf model. It was the model that uh, the Boston Marathon uh, bombers actually followed. It also probably was the model that the uh, the recent San Bernardino couple followed. They were more influenced by Aulaki, AQAP, than they were apparently uh, Baghdadi. So there's the AQAP affiliate. There's Al-Shabaab in Somalia that's an official... Uh, affiliate. There is an Al Qaeda in the uh, Islamic Maghreb (AQIM) uh, that is an affiliate, and their latest affiliate uh, is AQIS. It's called Al Qaeda in the Indian Subcontinent. Uh, they just began uh, an, an an attempt there. So there's Al Qaeda Central, and then you have uh, these uh, basically. Think of it as a conglomerate, and these are are, are clearly uh, subordinate entities, franchises. Uh, Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula has really been hammered very, very significantly uh, through a program of, you know, intelligence-driven uh, drone uh, uh, attacks. Uh, recently, over the last few months, they've lost their entire top leadership uh, crew. Uh, so that's uh, A-Q-O.
0: If you are just joining us on Religion for Life, my guest is Dr. Paul Kalmonik. He is the author of an upcoming monograph for the U.S. Army War College called Al-Qaeda Organization and the Islamic State Organization, History, Doctrine, Modus Operandi, and the U.S. Strategy to Permanently Defeat Terrorism in the Name of Sunni Islam. And now on to ISIS or ISIL, the Islamic State of Syria or the Islamic State of the Levant or or the Islamic State organization. What is their history?
1: The Islamic State of Iraq (ISI) was declared October 15, 2006. ISI, mm-hmm. the Islamic State of Iraq, that was a break from Al Qaeda. The ISI existed until that organization declared itself ISIS or ISIL, the Islamic State of Iraq and and Al Sham the Levantine area, ISIS. And that was done, I want to say, April 7th, 2013. Uh, That declaration, in the context of the Syrian civil war, uh, was rejected. You know, it was rejected uh, by uh, uh, other members of the ISI at the time. It was also rejected by al Zawahiri, al-Qaeda central's leader, as uh, something that was not discussed, not Acceptable, uh, And so al-Baghdadi, the emir of uh, the, the the ISIL that he had declared, from April 7, 2013 uh, until June 29, 2014, we would call it ISIL, if you want. Uh, and then at that point, in j- June 29, we have what he called the Islamic State, or the caliphate which is no longer the ISIL group. This is uh, allegedly uh, you know, a group now in al-Raqqa, Syria, uh, that proclaims the universal leadership of the worldwide Muslim community, and and they do not see themselves as restricted to the Levant. They are a worldwide organization of all Muslims. That's how they understand themselves. Um, sometimes you'll hear the word dash. Uh, which is uh, a, a pejorative in a sense. It, it denies their caliphate ambitions. Dash is simply the Arabic uh, acronym for the group uh, that refers to them as uh, ISIL or ISIS. It's the Arabic uh, phrasing of those of those terms. So, Dash ISIS and ISIL are uh, really uh, gone as far as the Islamic State is concerned. Uh, And so what I've decided, I think the Islamic State Organization, ISO and AQO, Al-Qaeda Organization, are the best way to understand that these are terrorist organizations who claim to act on behalf of Sunni Muslims and have usurped the authority of Islam uh, to fight for a caliphate that very few Muslims want, using means that almost all Muslims find repugnant and reprehensible.
0: Some have argued that the Islamic State uh, is really a product of mistakes by the United States government. Uh, is there any truth to that?
1: Um, yeah, there's a partial truth. Um, I would say there there are, if you think about the context, the strategic context, um, the way we went into Iraq and the way that we got out of Iraq both, in a sense, were errors. You know, going into Iraq— Uh, We believed there were weapons of mass destruction. Uh, The claim was there was an Al-Qaeda presence. And uh, the third element was rogue regime. So at the time, if you put together WMD, Al-Qaeda, and rogue regime in 2003, um, the argument was the United States could not uh, wait. There was a kind of preemptive doctrine. And there was clearly a rush to judgment. And clearly the intel was wrong. And uh, what was wrong about going in is not that eliminating despotism is not a good thing. It's that by decapitating uh, a Sunni regime, a minority Sunni regime, in in effect, we destabilized completely the Sunni Shia balance in the Middle East, and we empowered a Shia uh, Islam, uh, which in itself is not a bad thing, but what it Uh, What additionally happened, and these are other factors actually partly our responsibility, partly not, is that the initial attempt to stabilize uh, Iraq after that decapitation was also a a massive failure. So not just the invasion, but the plan for occupation was uh, horribly conceived. Uh, There was a a punitive debathification that was carried out that led to uh, anyone virtually with bath background even lower level individuals uh, being thrown onto the streets this means no pension no honor no position no life so immediately you have hundreds of thousands of individuals who are potential insurgents they're nationalist insurgents uh, we also uh, passed a law abolishing essentially the uh, the security services so you have bath on the streets you have security services on the streets so, The way that we went in and uh, the failure to understand that there would be an insurgency, that there would be profound destabilization, and if the U.S. was going to act that boldly, it would have to be there to stabilize a situation, clearly a problem. And then the way that we left, it is, uh, in fact, the case that the United States was not getting what it needed, and that was a certain protection of forces agreement in 2011 Uh, that would ensure that Americans were not tried under Iraqi law uh, if we remained. Uh, But what in effect happened is uh, the United States disengaged diplomatically and militarily at a time when a Shia group, particularly under the former Prime Minister Maliki, was engaged in uh, what what really was sectarian, retributive action against the Ba'ath. Uh, Part of this has to do with Iran and Iranian militias and Maliki's connection to Iran basically forcing power down Sunni throats. So this is not strictly our problem. It's the fact that we were not there to maintain uh, agreements that the Sunnis required in order not to feel left out. And so what happened is, as Maliki moved against the Sunnis, with they had very legitimate grievances. The Sunnis did, uh, and also the beginning of the Arab Spring, the beginning of uh, the the beginning in March 11, 2011, you had the Syrian uh, regime starting to unravel. Um, the ISO organization saw Sunni. Uh, grievances in Iraq as an opportunity for them to come in and pretend that they were going to be the only thing standing between you know, the Shia uh, and, and death. And so, uh, in shorthand, the way I describe this is we went in the wrong way and we got out the wrong way. Uh, and there, there's a lot that can be said, but I, I've met very few individuals in the military, very few, who would not declare that our opening up a second front in 2003 and going into Iraq the way we did was a a massive strategic blunder.
0: Dr. Paul Kalmonik, author of the Al-Qaeda Organization and the Islamic State Organization, History, Doctrine, Modus Operandi, and the U.S. Strategy to Permanently Defeat Terrorism in the Name of Sunni Islam, a monograph forthcoming this spring for the United States Army War College. Let's move to strategy right now. You mentioned three Key strategic objectives in the monograph. Uh, the first is attacking and destroying the existing AQO and ISO networks. Uh, second is countering radicalization and recruitment to that network and third, protecting the U.S. homeland against terrorist attacks. And you talk about how the second strategy is the challenge. How has the U.S. government responded to al-Qaeda and ISIS?
1: Well, I think, um, I know that if I were not a student of this and I were not spending my life doing this and I were just watching the mass media and listening to the current uh, political climate, I would think that there was a ISO under every rock and, and we had completely blown it. Uh-huh. Uh, my opinion is actually the opposite. I think we have the right strategy, um, and I think strategic patience is required. And so let me very briefly uh, talk about this, okay? So our, our policy is to degrade, defeat, and destroy ISO, okay? That is our policy. That That's the what we're doing, okay. and and destroy is important. It's not enough to defeat. We need to destroy. A defeated enemy is not a destroyed enemy. We defeated them once. But it was a, a white-hot ember that hit out. Uh, so we need to destroy. So that's it. And as far as strategy, there are uh, three strategic objectives that you pointed out. Um, these have been the same for quite a while. Think of it this way. Strategic objective number one is attack the network itself. You go in and you hunt high-value targets and you take out leadership and you uh, destroy the existing network. And we are involved right now, presently, on the ground with special operations forces, with CIA, with Iraqi county terrorism, every day going and finding and rolling up different nodes in a network and using that intelligence, exploiting that intelligence, and moving on. Special operation forces are extremely important. So that's taking out the network. Uh, But also as part of that, Um, you want to dry up all the resources that that network requires. Uh, So you need to make sure that you're countering finances, you're disrupting finances, uh, that you're disrupting the flow of foreign fighters, for example, uh, that you're eliminating terrorist sanctuary. Um, So the two um, military parts of uh, rolling up ISIS there have to do with, uh, as far as our... uh, uh, really important military goals that is denying al-qaeda sanctuary and building up partner forces what they call partner capacity um, host nation forces so we really have to get the iraqis to be in the fight and uh... fight fight this fight for themselves um, let me go to the third strategic objective which is something we have a lot of control over and that is preventing attacks on the homeland we may or may not get the bad guys but we can prevent a lot of bad things from happening by simply being really smart uh, in our own society. So, for example, civil aviation, security, uh, tamper-proof identity, uh, really smart intelligence and law enforcement activities, customs, borders, different things that, regardless of, of malicious intent, we can do to make sure that we are prepared for and, if we are attacked, we respond to. Uh, attack. That's called anti-terrorism, really. So, defending the homeland, we're doing remarkably well on. Attacking the network, we're we're really uh, doing quite well on. The the toughest nut to crack is preventing new entrants, uh, what we would think of as people being radicalized uh, and uh, recruited uh, to this group. So, you know, it's one thing to take out people, but we don't want new entrants coming in. So here, the main goal is countering messaging. And attempting to have people make the decision, those tiny, tiny fraction that may, not to engage in this activity. You can have radical thoughts, radical beliefs, and really strident opinions and find terrorism uh, a reprehensible or illicit or, or ineffective means. So not engaging in terrorism, uh, behavioral disengagement from terrorism, is the second strategic objective. So we have a policy... We have strategy, and we have what are uh, called these lines of effort, uh, the LOEs in military terminology. And I've actually mentioned most of them, uh, denying sanctuary, building partner capacity, intel collection, disrupting finances, countering messaging, disrupting foreign fighters, uh, etc. Now, I want to conclude with really the most important of all, and that is the Iraqis themselves have to make the Difficult Choices to Create an Inclusive, Effective Governance. You might have read in the monograph, John, that the permanent defeat, rather than a temporary defeat, which can happen mm-hmm. easily, the permanent defeat requires that the Sunnis feel respected and protected and included. Uh, that they have a better deal with the Iraqi government than they do with some radical sectarian vicious group that claims to be their only defender. So governance is fundamental uh, to isolating and eliminating ISO. Um, the, The key is if we think of ISO and Al Qaeda as parasitic to use an epidemiological metaphor, parasites require unhealthy hosts. They destroy the host. They don't live in a mutual relation. If you strengthen the host if you create effective governance, if you create effective services, if people feel protected and they feel respected, these organizations are doomed. And the fact is, they are doomed. Uh, so we we can't. Ex- we should never think this is a military uh, issue. It is fundamentally political. And and when you hear the rhetoric of a, the the current polarized debate about carpet bombing and bombing people into smithereens, just understand. Um, This is the equivalent of someone with a BB gun sitting in bleachers shooting at you, and you come out with a bazooka and blast everyone sitting next to them. And half, at least, of the people sitting next to them were coerced to sit next to them for fear of their families disappearing. That's not a smart way to fight. You need patience. You need a way to isolate that deviant terrorist from the People that they're parasitizing, and it's tough because they'll play the game of provoking. They'll play the game of attempting to get you to respond because that will be their next propaganda film. Uh, So uh, counterterrorism is a very difficult uh, form of of um, you know activity because people rightfully want revenge and they they think it's weakness not to respond immediately with overwhelming force, but in fact to be a really smart counterterrorist you know requires more thought than that
0: does it help when presidential candidates say that uh, we should ban Muslims from entering the United States?
1: Um, it does not help um, it, it does not help at all you know for for one thing obviously it's it's unconstitutional um, uh, secondly it mistakes uh, the 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 fact that while it may be true, uh, that many or most terrorist acts are committed by Muslims today, at this moment, that that means the vast majority of Muslims are terrorists. When someone acts in the name of a faith, it doesn't mean that that faith sanctions what they do. So terrorists who act in the name of a faith uh, may also be besmirching that faith. So it d- it does not help, uh, you know, by any means Uh, The vast majority of the 1.6 billion Muslims in the United States, approximately just 0.6% of the population, find these acts revolting. Uh, And the vast majority of Muslims throughout the world find them revolting. Islam is a religion of law and humanity and rationality. Um, It is not a religion of chaos and dread and fear and terror. The idea that people are living in insecurity, that their lives are uh, chaotic, uh, that one does not have uh, the freedom of of liberty of honor of of reputation. Uh, these are repugnant uh, to Muslim Americans. Muslims throughout the world uh, believe in in really decent and righteous values. So no, it is not helpful. Almost all of the debate is is really simplistic, and it certainly is not governed by uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff leadership or the Department of Defense. Or uh, the Secretary of Defense, uh, these are not at all what they're saying. I've looked at all of the major strategy statements. uh, What we require is strategic patience uh, and really pinpoint a careful targeting of terrorist actors and disassociating them from uh, Islam, uh, preventing them from monopolizing the claim that they represent that faith – um, and that that can be easily done. There are plenty of internal resources.
0: And you're writing, of course, uh, this paper and these monographs for the United States Army War College. I'm thinking uh, for Americans in general, it seems an educational program might be helpful uh, to America to uh, distinguish the doctrines and practices of these small terrorist organizations from the rest of the Muslim population, particularly uh, Muslims in the United States who uh, are our allies in this uh, efforts to... Um, stop the terrorist organizations themselves
1: yes uh, most certainly and you know we're not uh, we're to be forgiven for the most part if we were in Europe Britain Germany Holland uh, France we'd have a very very long history of colonialism and very large Muslim populations France is 10 percent Muslim Britain is about six percent Muslim the United States is 0.6. And uh, the, the Muslims that come here have to travel uh, quite a ways across oceans and they're part of very often the middle class or professional middle class. Uh, and uh, you know, the, it, it's quite a different relationship. We don't have a history of colonizing the Muslim world. We don't have a very large Islamic presence. So um, the fact that the very first uh, impression of Islam was 9-11 was really uh, you know, horrific and, and a disservice. So, yes, and the first thing that someone would find if they read the Quran, especially individuals who are uh, of religious uh, faith, Jewish, Christian, is that this is deeply, deeply Abrahamic, ancient, Near Eastern, salvation religion whose ethics are virtually identical to those that Jews and Christians uh, believe. It is not to say that there are not issues that have to be worked out of religion and state or of the proper role of violence but as far as the ethical core, the the, um, the the inalienable rights, the the God-given or nature-given or human essence of of the right to decency, of virtues of character, uh, what you can count on with Muslims, I mean, is is that you will find decent, caring, compassionate human beings who believe deeply in in fairness and kindness and friendliness. So. When these acts are carried out and individuals immediately assume that, oh, this is real Islam, many Muslims are just, they're really burned out. They're besides themselves. They don't really know where to go, where to start. So I I do believe that Americans, for their own purposes, non-Muslim Americans, should learn carefully and clearly first about the faith, about the Quran, about the pillars, about the values, and then they can discover how removed deviant terrorist criminal organizations are from the vast majority of Muslims who see themselves as deeply connected to the modern world, even if religiously conservative, uh, these terrorist methods are abhorrent, and the idea of a caliphate, of a transnational caliphate that has to be imposed as, as, a, as a condition of, of living the decent life is not something that you're going to find anyone advocating
0: Dr. Paul Kamonik has been my guest on Religion for Life. His monograph will be available for free download in the spring of 2016 at the Strategic Studies Institute. Thank you for being with me these past two weeks.
1: Thank you very much, John.
0: You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My series, Islam 101, Meet Your Muslim Neighbor, continues next week. You can find links to podcasts, hear all the shows at religionforlife.com, religionforlife.com. Religion for Life is produced at KBOO Portland. Be well.